0: Hi everyone, this is Zarathi from Human Chapters. I'll tell you a little bit about Human Chapters. Humans are living narratives with the past, present and future. These narratives constitute of a number of chapters across a lifespan. The aim of these conversations is to highlight a chapter of the narrative and unpack its connections to other chapters. I don't care whether people are natural storytellers, but I truly do believe each one of us has a worthy story to share. Acknowledgement to country. We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we meet. We pay respect to their tribal elders, past and present and emerging. We celebrate the continuing culture and we acknowledge the memory of their ancestors. Today we are speaking to um, Faith and Faith. I forgot to ask you about our chapter name, um, but we will get to it, I'm sure, at the end of it. Uh, Go for it, Faith. Tell us a bit about you.
1: Sure. Thank you for having me. So my name is Faith Borkowski. I am a reading specialist. I've been in education for 35 years. I started off as a classroom teacher, uh, became a reading specialist, learning specialist. I went on to become a regional literacy coach and an administrator as well. Uh, I do private tutoring now, Mm -hmm. and I am a consultant for school districts. Mm -hmm. I've also written two books. Uh, My uh, first book was called Failing Students or Failing Schools, A Parent's Guide to Reading Instruction and Intervention.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: then my latest book is If Only I Would Have Known what I wish the pediatrician, the preschool teacher and the librarian would have told me about language literacy and dyslexia. And uh, I wrote that book based on what parents would say to me once they realized the problem. And they would say, oh, only I would have known, right? So it's a direct quote and uh, that's this book Right here. That's my latest book, and it's written as a graphic play, which is um, just easy to understand. Any parent can follow it. And uh, by reading this book, it should help them to be able to understand and advocate for their
0: children. Mm. Absolutely. Um, Faith, what got you into education? Where did your journey begin? Well, it actually started when I was a camp
1: counselor. Okay. And uh, I went to a sleepaway camp for underprivileged children and became a counselor in a camp called Camp Sussex. It doesn't exist anymore. But uh, anyhow, we uh, went, a group of us went, people from the neighborhood And I just felt connected to the kids. I just, from that point on, I realized that I wanted to make a difference in a child's life. And I um, decided to go into teaching.
0: That's amazing. Um, Was there any standout events or moments within the camp that sort of made that decision for you? Well, I
1: think it was really about being there for kids uh, who did not have stable home lives. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was making a difference. We would stay up late at night and some kids would just tell me uh, some of their problems, some of their issues. And I was just there for them and we would have these conversations. And I just enjoyed helping them just get through certain problems and just being a friend to them. Yeah. It, it, I could see that the conversations made a difference
0: in their lives. Beautiful. And um, Faith, with the conversation we will be having for Human Chapters, um, the chapter you'd like to discuss is your current chapter. Um, and again, it's, n- it's somewhat nameless at the moment, but we will have a name for it. Um, tell us about that journey. What, what's your new chapter? Okay, so my latest chapter started uh,
1: when I met a man named Trey Hadrick online. Uh, through social media. He lives in Pennsylvania, and this is just when COVID began. Uh, So it's over two years ago when we first met. And he found me on social media and wanted me to help his son. He felt his son was not um, reading at a point where he should have been at that time and so i had agreed to listen to his child read and i did an assessment and he was in fact behind with his reading he was basically uh trying to read through whole word memorization and looking at the context and not really able to sound out words Mm -hmm. very well and uh, Trey kind of instinctively knew that something wasn't right, but couldn't put his finger on it. So I had agreed to tutor his son and uh, he and I met online once a week through Zoom yeah. and Trey would sit in listening to what I was doing and watching what I was doing and that's how I always tutor children with the parents there Mm. so that they're able to reinforce whatever I do. I feel that's important. You can't really get very far with once a week tutoring unless it is reinforced. And even twice a week, I feel, isn't enough. You know, kids who struggle need to get a lot of repetition and reinforcement in this type of work. And so once we began, after a few sessions, his son began um, sounding out words. Yeah. And I would say after a month, you could see a difference. And I always tell parents they should see a change anywhere from six to eight weeks. Sometimes it happens sooner, but you have to really give it. Good six to eight weeks. If you don't see something change in two months, then something is wrong. Yeah. You, know, you should see some change happening. Yeah. Anyhow, he, he you could see the change in a month. Hmm. I tutored him for six to seven months, but by six months, he was reading multisyllable words. Wow. And at that point, a lot of it was just application and practice. And, you know, his reading started to take off. Trey, um, being the type of person he is, he's a guidance counselor. He was working in the schools. He wanted this for other children, not just his own. So he wanted proof of concept. Yeah. He, yeah, and one of the things he felt was, well, people will look at me as a teacher in the community, as an educator. Mm-hmm. And they'll think that, ah, well, maybe it's just some kids who could learn this way. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to work with a child who would not have the advantages that his son had. Yeah. So we ended up uh, well, he ended up rather finding a child through an organization called um, the Norristown Men of Excellence. And they were willing to sponsor a child to give this child help, who was in a self contained special ed classroom. Hmm. The, you know, he was also. Um, a behavior problem in terms of what the teachers saw, that he was a behavior problem. And uh, he really did not have the advantages of tutoring outside. Yes. I agreed to do this. And uh, we did eight sessions. The men of excellence were willing to pay for eight sessions. I agreed to do this at a reduced rate and after the eight weeks TJ was improving and he wasn't there yet but Mm -hmm. I continued to work with him beyond the eight weeks but after I have to tell you a few weeks you could see the improvement and we videotaped each session to show the improvement I did not put that online because we wanted to keep that private. But the men of excellence were able to see that Trey was able to see what I was doing. And we both said, there you go. You don't have to have the advantages of having money. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be from a a family where uh, people are college educated. Any child can learn to read given the right strategies, the right approach. And so uh, we took it from there. And that's when the cutting illiteracy chapter began. So you could call it cutting illiteracy. I love
0: it. Cutting illiteracy. Beautiful. Um, Before we do move on to... Cutting Illiteracy Initiative part of it. I do have two questions. Would you be comfortable in giving us a bit of a roadmap for these eight sessions? What what happened at the beginning? And I'm thinking about if there is any parent listening to this conversation and they are not aware of all the information and knowledge base that we currently have how would you explain it to a
1: parent? Mm -hmm. So the first session I assessed him. I just wanted to know what he knew and what he didn't know about um, letters and sounds. And then I did a little bit of work trying to sort out some of the issues for him with just letters and sounds. Mm -hmm. You know, he had some... um, confusion. I also noticed his handwriting. That's always something that I noticed that children don't know how to form their letters. Usually, I'll say usually, but that is a big sign. Yes. And I noticed that he was forming his letters incorrectly, mixing up B's, D's, P's, starting those letters in the wrong place. So, one of the things we did was we started to try to correct some of this. And uh, with practice, Mm -hmm. he did. He started to form his letters differently. But that was something that definitely was hard to change. You know, that did not happen overnight, never does. But it was something I did notice. From that point on, from the second session on, we started to work at a very basic level, hearing a word, breaking it up into sounds, and then seeing which letters would then match to those sounds. Then going in the other direction. Pushing sounds together in order to read a word, starting with two sounds pushed together, making sure that those were blended, adding in the third, and then saying the whole word. Hmm. So going in both directions, where it would be hearing the word, being able to segment the word into sounds, seeing which letters would then apply to those sounds and then being able to read by blending left to right all through the word blending.
0: Yeah.
1: From that point, we started with what you would call consonant vowel, consonant words, and then we would build up into some harder blending where the blending would happen at the end of the word, then at the beginning of the word, because beginning of the word is always The hardest to get those initial blending points down Mm -hmm. so that we're not leaving out sounds or putting in sounds where they don't belong. And then after that, we started to get into um, the variation of the code Mm -hmm. that you could have a sound and it could um, be represented by different letters. It's not always the same way. Yeah. Children have to understand, even though there are 26 letters, there are 44 sounds in the mm-hmm. English language. So that means that letters are coming together to represent different sounds. So it's this just these basic concepts that kids need to learn to kind of um, break the code and for them to understand that this is not some mystery, you know? It's not for some kids uh, and not others. All kids could break the code if they understand the concepts, these basic concepts.
0: Correct, and something I'd like to add to that, Faith, is that the concept is basic, but so vital. Mm. And that's the thing, right? So a lot of the times, I've heard in conversations, oh, it's a basic concept, which means they should get it easily, which means if they haven't got it after a certain point, then maybe it's their fault that they haven't got it. But I think we're starting to realize it's there to um, separating words into their individual sounds called the segmenting, which helps with writing and, Joining the sounds to form a word is the reciprocating um, direction and that helps with reading. Each one of those are equally as important. Yes. As each other. They
1: they have to see what they can say. They can write. And when they're writing it, they could read it. It all works together. And I love what you said about Basic is not so basic. No. Right. So, my friend Trey, who I mentioned, uses this term we have to make basic beautiful. Yes. I love that term, making basic beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's all about the foundation. Yeah. It really is because we can't skip over this important step. No. If they miss the foundation, Everything else becomes hard. And what you said about blaming the child, we want to remove that from the child and from the parent. Yes. Not the parent's fault, not the child's fault. It's the teaching that needs to be fixed. And I don't mean the teacher needs to be fixed. The
0: teaching, the actual way we teach needs to be fixed. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for that, for providing a clear roadmap of those eight sessions, where it starts, and how you sort of progress it on a continuum. But also, it's really wonderful to see or appreciate the complexities. You are going from CBC, which is a word with consonant, vowel, consonants such as cat, to then more adding more consonants but even that for people that are doing it for you know with the tutoring um practice or teaching you add another consonant at the end before adding it at the beginning and there those intricacies and knowledge that needs to be you need to have in order to be able to layer it well
1: yes like yes it so that's why It's important to have structure. So anybody who is a proponent of structured literacy, all that means is that we want kids to be taught with a sequence. It should be systematic. That there's a process. We start with simple and we build to the complex. We don't assume that kids will just figure it out themselves. Yes. And it's cumulative, everything builds, one concept builds on the other so that they're not expected to just jump because if they have to jump, what are they going to do? They're going to look at pictures. Mm -hmm. They're going to try to guess. And then once they get into these upper
0: grades, that all falls apart when there aren't any pictures. Exactly. And the other, Sort of thing that I'm thinking about is give the children time, clear instructions, give them time to process this information and practice. Right. right. And exactly that is so important rather than pushing on, pushing on, not providing them enough time and practice and expecting them to be doing much harder and much complex um, things within the reading and writing elements.
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: Um, The other question I really wanted to address or point I wanted to address is um, we talked about disadvantages not being a factor for whether a child learns how to read or not. Can we actually unpack that point?
1: Yes. So I get very annoyed when excuses are made. And it's not that those aren't factors, let's be clear. If a child goes to school hungry, that's a factor. If a child um, is a product of a family uh, where there's a lot of fighting and there it could, it could be violence, that's a factor. Yeah. But it cannot be an excuse for not teaching a child to read. We can't say, well, what do you want? Uh, his or her home life is not um, the right uh, way and they don't have money. So of course that's the reason they're poor. Any child can learn how to read. Any child could learn how to read given the right structure. Yeah. Now, will some kids need more practice than others? Yes, there are kids who definitely need more repetition, more practice, more explicit instruction where nothing could be assumed, right? Every detail must be explained. While others will pick it up rather easily without too much effort there are those kids who can do that but if all kids are taught with a structured approach it should not matter if the child does not have the same advantages as other kids they could still learn to
0: read yeah absolutely and having the belief that every child can learn how to read no matter what. Yes. That is important. And to be sort of learning to read and learning to read at a word level is a constrained skill, which means it shouldn't technically be going on for years and years and years. No, it
1: should not. Mm. It should not go on forever. Uh, You know, when we talk about sounding out words, Once children learn the code, it opens the door for them to be able to read anything. And that's how vocabulary grows. That's how knowledge begins to grow. And that is infinite, right? They could keep growing and growing as readers and learning more words. But the code, you still have the same 26 letters and 44 sounds. And so once they are taught to unlock that code, that's when they begin to become
0: readers. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much um, for that faith. And now let's get into cutting illiteracy. Tell us about this initiative, how it started, including um, the, the book club discussion.
1: Okay. So, all right. So getting back to this child who was sponsored through the men of excellence. Now, Trey said, wow, we have this, this needs to be taken to the community. Other people need to know this. He was not just satisfied. Like I said, that his son got it. Now we had Um, his son Ernesto, and we have TJ, both who were given explicit instruction and began reading. We wanted, of course, the school district in the area to then start understanding what we were doing, Mm -hmm. and they were somewhat receptive, but again, they they try to balance everything, you know, they they want to help, but they want to do it where it's not this big change that happens, where they have to really look at their tier one instruction. And if you don't look at tier one, that's instruction for everybody. That's what we would call tier one. And if we just look at special education or some of these kids, those kids who struggle, mm-hmm. you're going to keep having the same problems again and again. Yeah. Because if they're taught one way where, uh, you know, with sight words and memorization, and even if you layer phonics on, it's going to confuse some kids. There are going to be kids who fall through the cracks. Yeah. So, we decided, you know what, we're going to just start trying to get people in the community to learn about this. Mm -hmm. And I do believe in a backdoor approach. That was the whole um, approach I used for failing students or failing schools. So this book over here, which I said, you know, I wrote before, if only, was about my experience in the school system. And I wrote it for parents who already were in the process of, um, you know, their kids going through different interventions and not getting anywhere. So I said, if parents know the truth, what's going on, they could then begin to go talk to the schools and advocate for their children. If only I wrote it on a simpler level and I wrote it for parents with young children so that their children would not have to go through all these struggles. That's why it's called, if only I would have known right now, they know if they get the answers from this book. So Trey said, I'm going to buy 10 books. And start giving them out to people. And I said, well, you give them out. Maybe they'll read it. Maybe they won't. And then you won't get the books back, right? Mm -hmm. Who knows what they'll do? Why don't you start a book discussion instead? And he said, I don't know how to do that. I never did this. I said, I'll help you. I'll write the questions for you. He decided to get a group of men together and he put it on YouTube. Yeah. And he was the facilitator, and this group grew in their knowledge yeah. week by week. It was over three weeks. Yeah. The first week it was all kind of new, and they read a they read a chapter before meeting. Yeah. But they were a little hesitant. By the second session, you saw their confidence. Now they were understanding what was going on. And by the third session, you had these men wanting to take charge and do something about it. And that's all up on YouTube. So one of the members of the group was this barber, Jacques, and he was fired up. a young child. And he was seeing some of the struggles his son had. And he recognized some of the struggles in himself, and decided he wanted to do something about this. So he really got into decodable books, he learned what decodable books were from this book. He got decodable books. He started to do some of the strategies of pushing sounds together or breaking a word up into sounds. And he started to see his son getting it. Yeah. So we decided, wouldn't it be great if these decodable books could be available to other people in the community? He was so generous, he opened the barbershop up to be a place where the books could be stored. Mm. So I reached out to some people I knew who published decodable books. Phonic Books was one of those publishers. Um, And then Piper Books was the other publisher. So we had, um, you know, these I See Sam books and we had the Phonic books that, You know, follow also a structure, two different types. It didn't matter. The point was the books followed a structure and they donated these books to the barbershop. Anyhow, Trey wanted to get some publicity for this. So I said, why don't we have a ribbon cutting ceremony for the books being in the barbershop? we got a reporter who wrote an article about this and it just started to take off. And then I said, we should have a t-shirt as well for this. Cutting illiteracy. And people started to wanna buy the shirt and support what we were doing. And then Shrey got an anonymous donation of $2,500. And we added to the collection and built up this book collection. Yes. Uh, most recently, they just got a copy machine so parents can leave with little decodable books. Yes. We have a poster, of a sound chart that is from the Phonic Books website. Yes. And so, it, it you know it explicitly shows how you can have a sound and different ways that one sound could look with all the different um, graphemes, the different letter combinations that's hanging up in the barber shop. Ooh. And people are coming from all over to want to see what's going on. And it all started with this book club book, and now um you know it's all over social media yeah. every time somebody in the barbershop picks up one of those decodable books they're filming it taking pictures it's amazing what's going on yeah and so we're trying to make the community self-reliant where they don't have to depend on a school district to give them answers they're discovering the answers themselves and becoming advocates. Because this is not a community where they normally hire parent advocates Mm -hmm. and tutors and attorneys to fight this fight. Now, people right in the community are starting to know what the inherent problem is.
0: Absolutely. But my other question, and this is related to the community, to anybody that has a child, a niece, a nephew, they're a a reader themselves. Why is it so important to know how to teach reading? Like they don't have to, they're not educators, but why should people start to know about this? Because you could be easily duped.
1: And it doesn't mean the school district is doing this on purpose. Yeah. They do what they know. Yes. And the information that they got during their teacher training might not be correct. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it usually isn't correct. They were taught to teach kids through just the love of reading. Yeah. just exposing them to books, teaching some basic sight words, using pictures if they couldn't read the words, and uh, doing this through what we would call leveled books, or maybe you would call it um, the book bands. I, I don't know. Leveled readers? Yeah, oh, you would call them leveled books yeah. too. Okay. I know that some places they'll call it um, book bands, but In any case, it's not that they're doing this on purpose, but they're getting the wrong information. Parents are getting the wrong information. Mm. And because we trust that, well, they're the educators, they're the experts, they must know, Mm. each year goes by where these kids are not improving And they're still being passed through a system, not reading, where if parents understood the process and knew what to look for, they could easily say, wait a minute, my child is not learning to read this way. They keep giving the kids these level books and my kid hasn't moved off a certain level and Mm -hmm. I don't understand why. They tell me that, you know, they're pulling my child in groups and doing this work, yet I don't see any improvement. But if the parent understood what they should see, what they should be getting, then they would know how to ask for it and speak the language that's needed in order to get the help that's
0: required. Absolutely and that is so you've articulated that so clearly Faith, and I truly do appreciate it because really a lot of the times that trust factor is there and yes it's important that that should be there but not knowing what to look for um, when your child is struggling when you are struggling it doesn't matter knowing not not knowing what to look for does not give you the language either, but knowing what to look for helps you with the language itself. And it's that. Yes, exactly. Now you could
1: understand, you can question. You don't know how to formulate a question if you don't have background knowledge. And it's the same thing you go to a doctor. Mm. We feel doctors are the experts. Well, Mm. doctors get it wrong. I mean, I'm going through something in my own, you know, personal life where the doctor was wrong and I questioned it. I started to do my own research. And if I didn't do the research, I would have been put on medication that I did not need. All right. So this happens in life. It's not just school. This happens in every area where if you cannot read, you cannot find out information that you need to protect yourself.
0: Yes. Or your child. And we can have as many apps, as many um, tools that could assist. And that's the thing. They're there for assisting. They're not there for doing the entire job. Is. I think that is so important. Thank you, Faith, for saying, because my next question was going to be, what is the future implication of our poor readers, poor writers, for what does their future actually look like in the long term?
1: Well, you know, there are some kids who might find a talent that does not require much reading or they could get by with very little reading, or they go into a family business Mm -hmm. uh, where they're able to still do okay. But most kids, most kids do not have a very good future if they can't, you know, read, they don't have basic literacy skills. And you will see many of the prisons are filled with kids who just turn to a different way of life because they were not able to cope. They they couldn't read, they couldn't write. What were they left to do? And they couldn't finish um, their education. So it, it doesn't look pretty for them. And we could do something about that we can recognize some of these problems. And like I mentioned to you already, I have um, a free workbook on my website that uh, is called ifonlybooks.com. And it's the website has to do with explaining what this book is along with the um, questions to facilitate a book group. But I also have a free workbook on there can you see me? So that communities could start a discussion about recognizing kids um, where these kids are falling through the cracks and there are signs that we could see along the way and hopefully catch them
0: before they go in a very bad direction. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to be putting your website link Um, in the show notes for this particular conversation. Um, With the, is there anything else that you would like readers to know in terms of these books are meant for parents, they're meant for pediatricians in their offices, and they're meant for daycares, preschools, um, that setting as well. And librarians. Librarians, yep. Mm -hmm. And anyone who has contact with a child. Yeah. The
1: book really is meant to open the door so people understand language, literacy, and dyslexia. Mm. And how we could catch these kids early and give them the right tools to be able to be successful. And you know, having community members involved in learning about this um, creates um, a support system where the children might not have, you know, the home life, but if we could all recognize this and help and open up the conversation, we could save lives. That's really what this is, it's about saving lives.
0: And it really is a matter of urgency. We were talking about because you know what's going on as an educator, you can see it, you have the information, you realise the true urgency of the situation, of um, illiteracy, of low literacy. And this is actually, it's becoming a global affair. It's not limited to a country a nation a state it's it's gone beyond borders but if you don't know a lot about it then the trust is placed on those who seem to know more about it and it appears to be a slow burning because it's not a matter of um that sort of acute you know if we were to use the analogy of a hospital it's not a matter of life and death where you can actually see it hear it feel it, it can become a slow burning and you don't know. So it's, yeah, you don't know what you don't know. That's right.
1: And um, I'm glad you mentioned this as a global crisis because we also have a a member of our little team here. Uh, uh, His name is Jeff Vaughn and he is living in Hungary now. He works at a university and he was fascinated by the work that Trey and his lit champs were doing and the work that I am doing with them with my book and trying to build community awareness. He is looking to help replicate this in other places and hopefully his university will see what we're doing as far as having um, an out of the box solution. That's what this really is, an out of the box solution, trying to go from the outside in rather than always trying to fix the problem within the school walls, behind the school walls, which was actually the name of my first book before it was republished. We're looking to build awareness in communities so that the average person could really be involved in the discussion.
0: Absolutely. And speaking about that, going from the outside in for um, the barber shop. I, project is such a temporary kind of word. It's, it's an initiative, it's a growing and dynamic initiative. Um, do you know the vision for that bar, can you speak to that? Sure, so um, next steps,
1: what this might look like. Uh, we, right now, there is a poster in the barbershop with a QR code yeah. where parents could begin to access free and low cost materials to get started. Yeah. The next step we wanna do is start building a community of people who could help others. Cause we know that some parents can't help their own kids. So what are they to do? Yeah. We have to kind of set up, help where there are people in the community Able to do this type of work and work with children. But they first have to understand the problem and then they have to be trained. So that's the next step making the barber shop be a place where there's some type of referral list of people who can help yeah. kids. Right. So it's not to say that the tutoring is all going to happen. while they're getting a haircut but they could have a list of people who could do this type of work where i could do the training my friend jeff could do the training because he also um, is a teacher as well so that's what we're trying to do we're trying to build a sustainable model that doesn't depend on others, where uh, they could find out within the community and keep building this right in the community, um, how uh, they could get the help that they need.
0: That's amazing. Um, And how long has it been since the book, since Cutting Illiteracy was launched?
1: You want to know something funny? Not a long time. I would say the last year. This is only a year. It's a yes. year. It's a It seems, I mean, we've done so much yes. in this time. And it has gotten so much attention. Yeah. That I think it's pretty amazing. And every time I turn around, there's someone on social media wanting to donate something to this yes um you know people from the uk people from other parts of the united states now we have australia right like people from all over wanting to jump on and be involved and start spreading the word and the only thing i could say is it's not just about putting the books there yeah We started a sustainable model by first building a knowledge base. And that was, as I said, through my book. And that's what motivated people. They have to talk the talk. You cannot be able to do something like this just by throwing a bunch of books there. You have to understand what you're doing. There needs to be basic knowledge where people are then talking the same language and then they could become active, actively participate in this. Correct. So um, we are building that model as we speak. You know, it's it's happening. There is um, someone in Northern Ireland right now through Danny, the Dyslexia Awareness in Northern Ireland, who um, wants to replicate this. Jeff is going to be the point person there. And we're hearing this all over, all over the country, other places. They all want to do something like this. And we're working to build
0: this one as the pilot model in order to build it elsewhere. That's amazing. Wow. where, where do we find cutting illiteracy? Does it have, does it have its own social media? Does it have its own website? Um, Well, I can tell you, Trey, on Twitter, and
1: Instagram, uh, and now he's on Facebook, too. But you will see Mr. Lit Edu, I think that's what it is. I'm sorry if I'm not saying it right, but it's Mr. Lit. Just if they he, they look for Mr. Lit on Twitter and Instagram, yes. he shares a lot of the videos and a lot of the photographs. So you could follow him, yes. and then um, oh, uh, yeah. I'm on Twitter and Facebook they yeah. could find me at high five literacy. Yeah. That's what I use high five literacy and academic coaching. I have a Facebook page yeah. and I'm on Twitter, Faith Borkowski at high five literacy. Yeah. And then Jeff Vaughn is, Oh, he's going to kill me. <laughs> I can't remember what his Twitter is, but, um, I don't know. We always tag him in all our conversations, and I just can't remember it's something. Something learning, um, and I can't remember the first part of it. I'm sorry. That's but okay. You can find out. I post all these things on Facebook, yeah. Twitter. Beautiful. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. Oh, so,
0: yeah. No, that is fantastic. So I will be um, posting these links now, Faith. During our conversation, has there been anything that I haven't asked you about this chapter, something I haven't thought of or I should have? um... Yeah,
1: I would say uh, you covered everything and did it very well, Artie. Uh, Honestly, um, this was a pleasure speaking with you. I don't think there's anything else except I hope that people will um, at least take a look at the website, yeah. learn about the book, what they can be doing. And if they have any questions, they could always email me at faithborkowski at gmail.com, faithborkowski at gmail.com.
0: Would it be okay if I had your email address? As yes. as your sure, address. absolutely. Um, and the final wrap up question is to a uh, three to five key takeaways for anybody in the world listening to this conversation?
1: Okay, Uh, your child can read. Unless there is something uh, where there is um, an intellectual disability that's so severe, a cognitive issue Mm -hmm. where it's so severe, children can learn. There are, there are kids with um, low IQ levels, they're able to learn to read. At least 95% of children can learn to read. I would even say probably closer to 98% okay. of children can read. So that's number one. If your child struggles to read, Don't accept somebody saying, give it time. Time will not change this. Mm -hmm. Time in fact makes it worse, right? The longer it goes, the more it affects the child emotionally and it's harder to correct. Number three, if uh, a child brings home a sight word list for memorization question it. Why? Why is this needed? My child needs to understand letters and sounds and how to push those sounds together to build a word. Why is my child being sent home with a sight word list? Because all that does is it puts the onus on the parents. All of a sudden it shifts to the parent's responsibility to memorize a bunch of words. That's not teaching a child how to read. So I would say, get rid of the sight word list and question why this is coming home. Number four, if uh, you see that your child is um, using leveled books and skipping words all over the place, start trying to see if schools could get what's called decodable books in books that match phonics instruction. There should be some explicit phonics instruction going on and there should be books that reinforce what they're teaching. If they're being given books that are leveled, they might not even be practicing the code that's being taught. And finally, number five is educate yourself. It's nice to trust people. We all want to trust others, but you have to be a smart consumer. You're a taxpayer and you owe it to yourself to know what exactly the school is doing, why they're doing it. And the only way you can do that is if you understand what children should be getting. And that's why I wrote my books. So um, they are available on Amazon. Um, I have an author page so you
0: can find my books there. Yes. Yes. I will um, put a link for your books. Thank you so much, Faith, for such a rich, robust conversation, for being so generous with your knowledge and information. And not only is it there, but showing how it can be delivered to the community effectively
1: you are very welcome it was
0: a pleasure for anyone that's listening to this conversation please feel free to share it with anyone that may connect um someone that's an educator someone who has uh, a child going to school please feel free to share it you'll find this conversation on Facebook, um, Human Chapters, uh, on YouTube and on podcast. Thanks, guys. Bye.